Welcome to the Dissolve Podcast, episode 27, the 3,000 Fathers of Tarantino edition. I'm Scott Tobias, editor of the Dissolve. The summer movie season has come to a close, and now we have to go back to speculating about blockbusters rather than watching them. But first on today's podcast, we're going to do a post-mortem on the state of the blockbuster model and the highlights and lowlights of the summer that was. This week, we've also written on two Elmore Leonard adaptations, our movie of the week, Out of Sight, and a new version of The Switch called Life of Crime. So we thought it would be a good time to assess Elmore Leonard's legacy on film. Our game this week is You Might Remember Me From Such Films As, which asks contestants to guess which titles are real straight-to-video movies, which ones are from Troy McClure's filmography, and which ones I just made up. Then we wrap it up, as always, with our quick-fire recommendation segment, 30 Seconds to Sell. Stay tuned, Dissolvers. A few weeks ago, I wrote a piece called Summer 2014, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Blockbuster. The thesis was this. In the long term, we may have reason to complain about remakes, sequels, and other unoriginal material coming out of Hollywood, but lately, I've been having a really good time at the multiplex. Now that summer is coming to an end, I'm curious to see if my fellow dissolvers had a good time too. Joining me are Keith Phipps, Tasha Robinson, and Matt Singer. Uh, Matt, let's start with you. Uh, How would you assess the summer overall? Am I... uh... Do you share my rare bout of fanboy optimism about it? <laughs> I'm not sure if I am quite as enthusiastic as you. I I, uh, I liked a, a bunch of the movies that uh, came out this summer. I also disliked a bunch of the movies. I'm wondering if maybe you just didn't see a lot of the movies, some of which you assigned me to watch, actually. <laughs> uh, so you were you were spared some of the worst. Um, I think I think what I would what I would say is. Amongst the big blockbusters, there were actually a fair number that were very satisfying. I just don't know that I saw a lot that were really uh, exciting, and not necessarily in like the way that uh, you know, like a movie. It's you know, it's as a blockbuster, it's an action movie. It's exciting. A lot of them were, you know, like Captain America was like viscerally exciting at times, I suppose, but just not exciting in the way that it gets you, you know, like excited to go back to the theater and see it again or look forward to whatever those filmmakers are making next. I didn't see a lot of movies that were like that, at least from the big you know, Hollywood studios. I think there were some really exciting uh, indie movies this, this summer. But from the blockbusters, I mean, to me, like, the, the really exciting one, the one that really, you know, really uh, I thought was a cut above was Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sort of just beneath that, I think there were a lot of satisfying movies, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America, X-Men. And then there was a few others uh, sort of a little bit, maybe a little below that, that were fairly satisfying. And then... You know, we can get into the bad ones later, but I, there was quite a few that I saw that were pretty disappointing to balance out the scale as well. Uh, Keith, what about you? Uh, I think you left out Don on the Planet of the Apes. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that's, that to me that, that's, was... That's, real, that's the one I'll, I'll just say. I did. I never got to catch up with it. Oh, okay. So yeah, sure. I missed my share, too. big oversight for me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think Don's terrific. I think Guardians of the Galaxy is terrific um, of, of this summer. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's a very persuasive piece because we're dealing with a specific summer with some very good films. And I don't know if it's a, a question of, you know, creative filmmakers learning to work within the system and, you know, love the blockbuster, as you say, or a, just a, a, a case of all the stars lining up for this summer. Um, I don't know if I necessarily want this to be conditions we experience as, as normal going forward, but I have a feeling it actually is. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I I think I have a certain. Uh, there's definitely a, a short short term pleasure that's checked by you know long term pessimism about this whole way of <laughs> making. It's got to bias way. Yeah, that is me. <laughs> uh, I have to worry about something. I can't just be happy. Uh, Tasha, what about yourself? 
I, I'm with Matt on feeling that I enjoyed a lot of the movies out this summer without necessarily feeling that they, they gave me a reason to keep going back to the cinema. Um, but one thing that I noticed is I, I really think that this uh, summer's blockbusters, by and large, were funnier than than previous years. I mean, if you look at the uh, some of the biggest movies of the summer, uh, things like 22 Jump Street or Edge of Tomorrow was also one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously huge. All of these movies have a lot of humor to them. Uh, Guardians in particular is, just, is almost a nonstop laugh fest. Mm-hmm. It, it's really serious moments are relatively few and far between. And I think that that tends to make you walk out of the theater in a better mood. Like, I, I think I walked into a lot of theaters this summer expecting Lone Ranger or, as I say, a Transformers movie. Um, and just, you know, Lone Ranger had its its humorous moments, I guess, but I didn't think they were particularly funny. I found myself laughing a lot at the theater this summer. Um, 22 Jump Street in particular, there are a lot of laughs throughout, but the closing sequence of that, the, the credit sequence, is one of the funniest things I've seen in theaters in a long time. And I, I, I about busted something in the theater laughing at that. I wanted to go back to, I think, to a, to a point that, that I think we were kind of circling ar- ar- around us, which is that, um, is there kind of a ceiling on how good these films can be? Is that a kind of a consequence of the fact that, you know, making blockbusters is a, is a pretty, you have to be kind of conservative if you're spending nine figures. You can't, you, you know, if we can't necessarily get, you know, if there is a pure version of James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy, we probably didn't get it. You know, we probably couldn't get it. Uh, um, if you know what I'm saying, Mike. Uh, sort of. I mean, I really think that this might be a case where where there was a lot of creative freedom, given that that as as a Marvel film, people were going to be interested in it, and and, and with the with the sort of hype machine of the of the Marvel film, Marvel you know studios behind it, people would be interested in a way they wouldn't if, if it was some unknown, completely, you know, whole cloth invented space saga from James Gunn. Uh, it would not, would not have gotten the budget it got. It wouldn't have got the marketing uh, muscle behind it. So I think he had a little bit more freedom there just from that. I, I'm not necessarily, I didn't really see that movie and see, you know, someone making a lot of compromises. Uh, no, maybe, maybe particularly given, I mean, given all of the disses he's thrown at the the woman who's credited as the screenwriter, who he says, you know, she didn't really write it. Like I had complete freedom to rewrite it myself. You can't have it both ways. You know, you can't have him saying, "I uh, created this entirely in my own image. I'm the only author of it." Mm-hmm. But also, I didn't actually have my vision in there. You know, I was I was too controlled. If anything, the success, both financially and aesthetically, of Marvel movies suggests that. Uh, possibly a little reining in of uh, of some of these auteurs is actually working, you know, because I think it's a movie that that fires on all cylinders. I, I think it's my favorite James Gunn movie by by a good stretch. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there you go. Mine too. Mine too. Uh, what 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 about, what do you think, man? I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Tasha. Sorry. I I think I I I, I sort of know what you're saying, Scott. You know, like these movies are are designed in many cases to. to they're like designed to be familiar. You know, maybe when I'm saying I want to be excited by. Uh, one of these movies, that's maybe not what they're really intended to do. You know, they're all drawing on familiar characters or, you know, toys from my childhood or, uh, you know, or, you know, famous comic book characters or, you know, the, the action heroes of the 1980s or whatever it is. And they're supposed to kind of evoke those comfortable, happy memories of childhood in a lot of cases. So uh, maybe I'm demanding too much from my blockbusters that I want them to not only entertain me, which a lot of them did this summer, but like excite me with the possibilities of, of large scale filmmaking. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's my fault for having uh, demanding too much from these films, which are clearly not demanding quite as much from themselves. 
I had that feeling. I think that the feeling that you're, you're talking about, I did actually experience in the movies once a summer, and that was the last third of Godzilla. That was that was kind of uh, uh, that, that uh, I, I I woke up from my stupor after the first two thirds, and just when that when finally gets to the to the monster on monster action, I just felt like wow, I'm this is this just feels like a you know I feel like a twelve year old watching monsters go at it, and it's fantastic. You know, and the movie really delivers the goods when it has to. Did you have any strong feelings about the lead of that film, or does anyone else in the discussion have strong feelings? About <laughs> Johnson. You mean Godzilla, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Godzilla. I have I have very strong feelings. Like he's he's pretty awesome. He's big. He roars. He has atomic breath. More. What more could you want? <laughs> um, I also want to like step back a little bit to uh, to something Matt was saying earlier too, which is that do we when we talk about like was this a good summer? Um, do we think about like the films that stunk? I mean, like how, how much does that figure into it? I almost kind of just, just see how many good films can pile up and just, you know, trans- if Transformers 4 comes out and is terrible, then, it, then I, you know, I can live with that. That's, well, what were the stinkers this year? I mean, what, were, what were the well, I think Amazing Spider-Man 2 uh, uh, yeah. was pretty, pretty rough. And Transformers 4. What, what, about, what, what else, uh, Matt, did you think was pretty, pretty bad this summer? Transformers and Amazing Spider-Man 2 were definitely down in the dumps. I wasn't a huge fan of uh, Maleficent, although there was some interesting stuff in it. Uh, Certainly not an enjoyable experience at the movies. I also saw the uh, Million Ways to Die in the West, which was... Which was not great. Uh, Just recently, The Expendables Expendables 3 was uh, pretty disappointing. Uh, what else? I mean, Godzilla, I, I did enjoy the, the last bit of it, but that would be one for me that's sort of probably the best of all of these movies we've mentioned, but I, it's sort of right in the middle for me as a, as a you know, I, I can't quite put it on the level of, of those good movies we talked about earlier. It's, it's better than Transformers and Amazing Spider-Man, but that would be one that to me was sort of a, a very mixed bag as well. But yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's like how we sort of, ex- you know, you kind of expect Transformers to be terrible. How, you know, can you really hold that against uh, the summer, or is that old expression about how you know ninety percent of everything is is terrible, and then there's that ten percent that is really good, and that you know whether it's a you know a broadcast television or movies or art or whatever it is, and it feels like this summer maybe we got more than ten percent that were good. Maybe they weren't fantastic, but there was a there was a a good bunch of solid entertaining blockbusters, which is kind of kind of i guess all like i said before is like maybe i'm asking too much maybe that's all you can hope for is that you know they are entertaining yeah i mean i feel like when we say it was a good summer what we really mean is the the big tent poles the ones that we are being told constantly to anticipate those didn't stink uh, because you know every season every every month has its share of stinkers and you can't judge a season by like the the worst a direct it has to put out what you judge by is when you have uh, again a lone ranger when you have something coming along that's been relentlessly and endlessly hyped and is all over the place and you're aware of it for months and then it finally comes along and you just kind of go oh boy that was that was a long and grueling trek through not very much fun and I I wish I hadn't seen it I mean for me it being a good summer is more about the fact that some of these movies like Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy and How to Train Your Dragon 2 and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes like some of the big big movies that we were anticipating going into the summer a little cautiously given some of the blockbusters we've had over the past couple of years lived up to the expectations and in some cases exceeded expectations i think that's what it comes down to for me is i went into edge of tomorrow thinking you know the ads for this looked 
interesting, it's probably going to be dreadful. And then I really enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the experience that you really look for is things exceeding your expectations for once. So let's shift gears here at the end. Uh, um, uh, was it, what about counter-programming? Were, were there any sort of indie or foreign films that you saw over the summer that, uh, that you really enjoyed? Well, I mean, two that really stuck out immediately um, are, are Snowpiercer, which is kind of like, in in some ways, an indie blockbuster. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, a, you know, what an art house, an art house attempt to do what the blockbuster is doing, and quite a successful one. And then, and then Boyhood, which is a, um, well, it's one of a kind movie in whatever season you put it out. You know, it's just it's such a special um, uh, film um, that that it would it would stick out no matter what. But I guess especially in the middle of of this summer, it would, it, it it was uh, quite refreshing. I mean, Boyhood may be unbeatable for me. It's it's the only film this year I've given five stars, mm-hmm. and it's it's just a spectacular uh, achievement and a, and a fascinating film. I also really enjoyed The Rover. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, that's, that's getting overlooked. The, the two of us uh, saw that one, and I I think that's one that's gonna sort of quietly. I it it kind of hit the same. Uh, the same gears as Blue Ruin for me, and I'm mm-hmm. wondering if it'll find a fandom like in a in a low key sort of like home video kind of way. What about you, Matt? Uh, I don't. Well, I guess it came out the exact same weekend as Captain America, so I guess it counts. Under the Skin uh, oh, okay. came out the first weekend in April, so I mean, to me, that's one of the best movies okay. of the year. We are really we are stretching summer. Uh, I think the Immigrant back. came. Yeah, go ahead. Well, if Captain America counts, and they came it out does. the same day. Okay, and the Immigrant as well. The Immigrant as well is another one. Um, I, th- I saw it last fall, but Blue Ruin is another really satisfying movie. I think that came out in May, I want to say. Yeah, I, think so was, I, I, I certainly would echo Snowpiercer and Boyhood. I mean, there's actually been a lot of good indies. They came together, Alan Partridge, Palo Alto. It's been a, there's been some good ones. Yeah, there, there has been. I mean, for, for me, yeah, the Boyhood is just, I can't, I, when I actually sat down to actually think of it, I was just like, like right off the top of your head, you know, uh, best sort of indie movie of the summer. I, I could think of nothing else. I mean, that's how hot, how larger shadow boyhood is sort of casting over everything for me. But, but, um, but I actually, th- I think that, you know, I mean, I think a lot of pe- our listeners are probably seen it or, or, or uh, already, um, because that's who they are. But, but, um, but Snowpiercer, I, I think would be, is just such a perfect piece of counter. If you talk about counter programming, I mean, that is, that is, that is, as Keith said, sort of the, the alt blockbuster of, of choice. Um, but, uh, anyway, so we'll, we'll hopefully, uh, things will, I, I, you know, again, I have a lot of, uh, you know, in the short term, I, I really enjoyed the summer in the long term. I'm a little concerned, but, but, but oh, maybe Scott, I have no, maybe you, I have no reason When to. are you not concerned though? Like when are you not know, expecting the I worst? Know, You've got to let go of your pessimism and learn to continue to love the summer. I tried. I tried. I There's stopped, some... I stopped worrying for about, for as long as it took to write the column <laughs> and love the blockbuster. And now I'm back to worrying again. Uh, Matt, You're not excited about about Avengers two? Maybe Mad is that, is, Max. Well, yeah, that all could be Jurassic that, World. Well, I don't know. I didn't like Paul that. Blart Mall Cop two. Well, <laughs> that that I'm excited about. Okay, <laughs> all, all the other good. the other things I don't know. Um, anyway, Matt, uh, uh, Keith, uh, Tasha, thank you. Yesterday, we wrapped up our Movie of the Week coverage of Out of Sight, Steven Soderbergh's fine adaptation of Elmore Leonard's novel. This week also sees the release of Life of Crime, an adaptation of a 25-year-old Leonard novel called The Switch. So naturally, we thought it would be a good time to talk about how Leonard's work has translated to the screen. 
In his keynote on Out of Sight, Keith talked about how it, Jackie Brown, and Get Shorty cracked the Leonard Code. But what is the Leonard Code? What do the good films get right, and where do the bad ones go wrong? Uh, joining me are Keith Phipps, Hello. Nathan Rabin, Hello. and Noel Murray. Hello. Uh, Keith, let's start with you. Uh, when you talk about cracking the Leonard Code, what do you mean? Well, I think it's basically just kind of kind of figuring out how to get the... I mean, I think people finally figured out with, with Scott Frank's screenplay to get Shorty that, that much of the work at least in terms of the dialogue is done for you by Elmore Leonard, who writes these, these, these snappy exchanges that, that you can just translate uh, to the screen without altering even that much. If you find the right actors to populate it, it the, it's uh, a lot of the work is done for you. And, and I think that's a lot to do with it. But, but I think beyond that, there's the sort of sense of, of people, you know, who are living outside the law, living within a certain code. There's, there's always like, there's, it's hard to find good guys and bad guys necessarily in Elmore Leonard, but, but, but they're the good guys who, who will, who have lines they won't cross. And I, th- I think uh, Get Shorty and Jackie Brown and and uh, Out of Sight all kind of explore that in really interesting ways. And, and, and they, they tap into the source material uh, well that way. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, for me, kind of what separates a really good Elmer Leonard adaptation as opposed to a subpar and a middling adaptation, of which we've seen a lot, is the uh, subpar and the middling ones tend to really play up uh, the wackiness, the craziness. It kind of became this uh, parade of grotesques uh, and caricatures and goofs and... I think uh, probably the last Leonard adaptation that I reviewed was called Freaky Deaky. Mm. Uh, it was directed by Walter Matthau's son, Charles. Uh, and the title just kind of says, oh, like there are some good performances. There are some funny moments. Like Michael uh, Jai White uh, it, it is a lot of fun in it, but it's just kind of goofy in a way that doesn't really say anything uh, new and just feels like you're kind of recycling uh, what has been done before. I guess another good example in the same series, uh, the difference between uh, Get Shorty, which is, Pretty great, pretty pretty spot on, and be cool, which again is just your, your parade of wackiness. Well, the one thing Nathan is that I, I mean, maybe maybe this is something that Sonnenfeld or Sonnenfeld knew what he was doing, but but I would say that you know a movie like Get Shorty certainly doesn't play down the wackiness. Right, 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 right. It, you know, I think it maybe it's he just, fine. It's finding that perfect tone because yeah. it's. I mean, I feel like it's it's there. It's organically there. You don't need to exaggerate it because you know his writing is so inherently fun, so inherently sparky, so inherently kind of cinematic and colorful. Keep, yeah. keep, keep the tested. Also, there, there's an element of danger that that gets lost if you play off the wackiness too much. I think one of the best examples of that is Steve Zahn and out of sight who has the broadest you know most humorous character is sort of this um slightly out of it you know the steve zahn type in a way is sort of <laughs> slightly out of it criminal uh but who goes through this transformation where where is zahn i think sometimes gets underrated as an actor because what he does later in that film after he's seen sort of detroit criminality at, at its at its ugliest and most violent and been forced to, to witness and possibly partic- participate in it is you can see something go out in his eyes. You know, once, once, once he's like seen the bottom of it, uh, something changes in him and he's not a wacky character anymore. I completely agree with that. That, 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 uh, that watching the film again, that, that was the performance that really stood out for me for that, for the same reasons you mentioned. Um, but no, let's, let's go back a little bit. You know, you've, you've probably seen more older Leonard adaptations than any of us, including 1974's Mr. Majestic, which you just <laughs> recently reviewed uh, positively for the site. Um, um, how would you, how would you characterize his film adaptations before, you know, so the, this wave of late nineties films that kind of got him right? Uh, very plotty. I think is the is the main thing. I, I think what I think Keith put his finger on it that the later uh, directors kind of captured the colorfulness and the dialogue, 
And that wasn't really what they were interested in so much in the 1960s, 1970s, or even go back as far as the 1950s with uh, 310 to Yuma. Um, you know, a lot of those uh, writers like Elmore Leonard, like Evan Hunter slash Ed McBain, like Donald Westlake slash Richard Stark, I mean, they take, took a lot of pride in their plotting. That was kind of their main thing. They didn't really necessarily want to do a lot of character building or try to uh, create these guys who were very complex. They wanted to kind of drive the reader from point A to point B in a very clever um, but not tricky way, if you know what I'm saying. And I, and I think a lot of these earlier films really, really focused on the plot and didn't really deal with sort of these other things that were kind of incidental to the writing that actually ended up being the reason a lot of people read Omar Leonard. And I think it's worth noting also that Leonard changed too. I actually have never seen the, the film, um, uh, Mr. Majestic, but I've read the book and it's not necessarily the, the Leonard that we think of later, which, which got more and developed more and more. That voice got developed more and more like from 1980 on. Uh, I think uh, there's a, there's a book called, I think city primeval, which might be a, a turning point and in terms of plot. I remember I, I, uh, interviewed, uh, I had, had the, the honor of interviewing him, uh, at one point and, 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 uh, he uh, did not work, at least later in his career, did not work from a heavy outline. He kind of kind of made it up as he went along, which is mm. sort of amazing to me to, to, uh, to imagine uh, him doing. But, but again, as you point out, it's not necessarily the most, most plot-driven works. Well, you can also kind of chart that progression uh, just in the difference between uh, the 1960s version of Big Bounce, which is a lot more of a kind of a contemporary neo-noir, a lot more sort of plot-driven, as opposed to the was it 2002 version of the Big Bounce, which is basically like, here are some fun guys. We're just going to hang around for an hour and a half, which I actually really enjoyed. Too, I think that's yeah. one of those uh, kind of underrated uh, sort of lesser Leonard's that kind of get something fun about him. Not not substantive, not uh, important, uh, not even that good necessarily, but something that's really, really fun and lovable about him and his characters and his work. Well, that's that also one the one that's got like a scene of Willie Nelson and is it Harry Dean Stanton and somebody else all playing poker. And it's like, this is probably more fun when the cameras yeah. are rolling. <laughs> yeah, that, that one was directed by George Armitage who did uh, Miami Blues. Um, um, and I think Gross yeah, Point Blank as well. Right, and I, I think that, it just has that great tone to it. And in a way, I think, could you credit, you know, I mean, the, pre-Jackie Brown, I think you could almost credit uh, Quentin Tarantino to some extent for making it possible to ad- adapt Elmore Leonard in this yeah. way, oh, right? Totally. I mean, well, just... and I think it's I think it's not coincidental that uh, Pulp Fiction and then Get Shorty and then Out of Sight are all produced by Denny DeVito uh, and Rear Jersey Film Productions. I feel like he's somebody who has a really good uh, handle on that, and definitely you know in his. Uh, acting as well and get shorty uh, just he kind of gets that kind of world yeah it's, it's a little bit of give and take too because I don't think Quentin Tarantino happens without being influenced by Elmer Leonard among a lot of, a lot of other things but yeah. but I mean but sort of the dialogue driven um, you know colorful colorful criminal figures with uh, uh, who uh, who uh, engage in, in uh, memorable dialogue is is uh, kind of a key element to the Tarantino film yeah I'd say that uh, Leonard is one of the 3,000 uh, fathers to uh, Quentin Tarantino's <laughs> style I think just that notion that you don't have to really move forward all the time was important you know that you could have uh, have characters sort of hang out and talk and, and well, make and those characters interesting um, you know but it, I mean that said I mean I think the, all these Leonard adaptations are they do they are plotty they do have they do have a lot of moving parts, and you have to be skilled at at at, uh, at working those as well. Right. I mean, they're also uh, kind of a commonality between Tarantino and Leonard is a lot of them are about storytelling. It's about people who really love to tell stories, who love to talk, and that you know kind of becomes this uh, makes his work very appealing to directors who are kind of in that same vein. 
So, so I wanted to kind of go around uh, the the table, or I guess the virtual table, since Noel is not physically here, uh, and ask: uh, uh, Do you have a favorite Leonard adaptation, and why? Uh, Noel, let's start with you. Can, I, I know we're a film site, but can I pick Justified? Because, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, go yeah, ahead. It, it's kind of unfair in a way, because I mean, Leonard worked directly on that show at the very beginning, and you know, it, it gives the people who work on that show have the time to kind of have those moments you talk about where people just sort of hang out and they're not in a hurry to get to the story. But then when the story kicks in, it's actually very, you know, uh, well-written and well-structured and, and kind of surprising. You know, it, it, could be, it could be a thriller one week and it can be a comedy the next week, uh, which is what I think is, is great about Leonard's writing. Um, and, and, any, and since you've, you've uh, again, seen so many of these early ones, are there any, any, any films that have kind of a better rep uh, or that deserve, I guess, a better rep than they have? Well, I'm going to go back to the westerns again because I don't think people talk enough about Leonard as a western writer, and you know, uh, the Tall T, which is based on one of his stories, uh, Bud Bedecker, and I think actually does get that kind of hangout feel as well as being just a really gripping story, which is over and done in about 72 minutes, like all the Bud Bedecker films are. So, to tall, the Tall T is a, is a masterpiece. Uh, Keith, what about you? Those are great choices, and uh, and I'll, I'll go with a more obvious one, which is which is out of sight. It's just fresh in my mind. I think it's great, but I, I love Jackie Brown too. And I, I you know, those, those those are two are tough to beat. Uh, I'm gonna go with Jackie Brown, uh, just because. Yeah, again, I feel like you know, kind of the perfect fusion of these two very complementary sensibilities. Uh, it just feels so right, and so many wonderful performances. Like God bless you uh, for bringing Robert Forrester back. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite performances of, of the last 25 years. So so great. Um, in terms of lesser known stuff, I'm I'm a fan of uh, you know when. Um, Nam Golan died, uh, reminded me of, of uh, a canon adaptation of um, Leonard's work in 52 Pickup, which is a John Frankenheimer, um, just a nasty, dirty, pulpy little movie. Great, 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 very disturbing performance by John Glover mm-hmm. uh, as the heavy. I'm also going to uh, fly the flag eh, somewhat uh, for the movie Touch. Oh, wow. Again, talk about like an interesting (laughs) fusion of different sensibilities. You kind of have um, Paul Schrader uh, sort of directing this Elmer Leonard kind of light comic novel that's also very philosophical. And basically the idea is like, what if a messiah figure basically arose in contemporary Los Angeles? Mm -hmm. And he was just a dude, basically. Like he he had these kind of magical Christ-like powers, but he's also the guy who just, you know, kind of like getting laid and kind of enjoyed life and he kind of has these you know sort of leonard characters kind of circling all around him well christopher walken has, has a really fun performance and maybe my favorite tom arnold performance as a sort of uh, catholic true believer whose belief system and his whole identity cannot accept the idea that just this dude uh might be like jesus and he's just like wandering around you know driving his car around los angeles that's skeet ulrich right too? skeet ulrich yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, a, yeah. A, that's a strange movie it is a very strange movie but a very interesting one um and definitely, you know, if you're, if you're going deep into his uh, his work, that's definitely one to one to check out. It's also one too, directed by Paul Schrader, where where you know, right there in the premise, that that mix of the of the sacred and the profane, uh, kind of coming together, it all it all makes sense. Even though even though Paul Schrader is not necessarily the guy you, you'd want to turn to for any kind of a pulp thriller, he's not. No, or he's or, or not. you know, the hilarious comedy style into Paul Schrader. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's uh, uh, but I do remember as an odd duck. I don't necessarily remember it as fondly yeah. <laughs> Nathan, but it's an interesting but, film uh, if nothing else is an interesting concept well you know for older ones i'd kind of like to say cat chaser because i do remember liking it when i saw it but it's it's in it's in it's uh abel ferrara who i who i also really admire but it's been so long it's, i can't it's, even it's quite poor is it quite go, poor i would go so far as <laughs> okay. to 
excited. I'm, I'm one of the uh-huh. only people because yeah, it was like Peter Weller right around the time of Leviathan, RoboCop. Um, I remember on Bleach Blonde, Kelly McGillis being very naked. Uh, otherwise, not not a great motion picture. <laughs> but that was that was awesome. Okay. Yes. Uh, but uh, okay. So so I won't say I won't say Cat Chaser. I'll try. I'll have to trust your <laughs> that that you. I would. Uh, Right embarrass yourself, but, uh, but my twenty-five-year-old half-remembered memories of seeing uh, Cat Chaser. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was hard for me. To, it's hard to argue against uh, out of so- the greatness of Out of Sight, mm-hmm. having seen it again. I think it's maybe it maybe Soderbergh's best film. Maybe I would describe yeah. that movie as being out of sight. Out of sight. May last. Uh, may, maybe certainly top two or three for me. Um, but uh, but Jackie Brown, I like is equally well. And as as Nathan was saying, I mean, it is that fusion of sensibilities. I mean, you know, you do you, you get that Omar Leonard uh, quality, but you also get um, you know these two. Um, uh, icons, or at least, or at least, Pam Greer is an icon, and Forster is is uh, somebody that should men, be an means icon. A, should be an icon and means a lot uh, to Tarantino, and, and bringing those th- things together, um, you know, on top of uh, you know it just being kind of a really cleverly plotted and structured, and uh, and you know it's just a great uh, fusion of those sensibilities. Great De Niro so. performance. Great De Niro performance, right? And uh, Bridget Fonda and all that, all that other stuff, and that that great sequence of the mall that they kind of he kind of cuts into interesting pieces, and I just and just the 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 whole kind of gear shift from what we came to, what we were expecting from uh, uh, Tarantino. It feels so so different from the other films uh, in his filmography. Well, it feels like kind of Leonard helped him grow up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Uh, I, I think I think Tarantino said at one point that uh, this was the movie that people expected him to make twenty years down the road, but he went ahead and made it for his third movie. <laughs> yeah, he that, there's Tarantino is somebody who really has a great sense of like. The, the 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 arc of his own career doesn't he he's even he's even talked about retiring early so he doesn't you know suffer the fate of uh of some unknown director him uh john carpenter where his where he has you know he doesn't want to he'd rather uh burn out than fade away um but anyway uh but hopefully there's still plenty of uh leonard books uh, i think that are worth adapting i really want to see uh the hot kid uh made into a movie i think that that would be uh dynamite um but uh until then we'll just wait uh keith uh, Nathan and Noel, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Our game this week is You Might Remember Me from Such Films as. Uh, I'm going to give you the name of a movie. You have to tell me whether it's the name of a directed video movie, the name of a Troy McClure movie, <laughs> or a title I just made up. Uh, if I were, so if I were to say Keith. If I were to say the president's neck is missing, <laughs> you'd say Troy McClure. Okay, uh, so the no, no buzzers necessary here. We'll just go one at a time. I've this got eight. Read Scott Tobias's mind. The game. <laughs> oh, this is it great. is. Oh, all right, get ready, people. Uh, this is when this is when all your Simpsons viewing is going to pay off for a few questions. All right, uh, Keith, <laughs> we start with you. Cry Yuma. Mm, let's talk. I'm going to say Troy McClure movie. Correct. Yeah. Hmm. Troy McClure. Tasha. Dirty cop, no donut. <laughs> I I am going to suggest that you just made that up, sir. That is wrong. That is real. It is a it is a shocking. It is a directed video, a shockumentary about a psychotic policeman. Wow. Yep. So can we can we stop playing this game right now and watch that movie? <laughs> what, what do you say? It's about some sort of maniac. Cop. Dirty cop, no donut. Um, Nathan. Yes. Tomcat, dangerous desires. Tomcat, dangerous desires. You probably hmm. yeah. I 
I feel like that that sounds like a directed video motion picture. Uh, possibly a sequel to the uh, Jerry O'Connell uh, masterpiece Tomcats. Um, <laughs> but it also kind of sounds like you might have just made it up. So I'm going to go with direct-to-video. That's right. I, oh, I would have thought you'd have seen it. It's a Richard Graco oh, film. Oh, that's good. Um, I remember him. Uh, he probably looks very intense and serious on the cover. All right. right. So so, uh, Graco. so Keith Graco. and Nathan are on the board. Graco. Uh, now to you, Keith. Meet Joe Blow. Meet Joe Blow. Uh, that is, I think that is a direct-to-video movie. No, that is Troy McClure. Oh. Troy yeah. McClure. Uh, you might remember him from such films as Meet <laughs> Joe Blow. Uh, Tasha. Turbulence 4, Cabin Pressure. Direct to video. Fake. I made Damn it up. It. We had to get a list. <laughs> Whoa. Well, I, yeah. I, I, I now totally. F- or was it Turbulence uh, Heavy Metal? That's Turbulence, Turbulence 3. Turbulence 3 Heavy Metal. Yeah. That's the one where it has the. Uh, the they didn't the, get the The hero is a, uh, is a Marilyn Manson figure. I knew Who not must being... rescue the, uh, the play. I've seen that motion picture. It's out of its goddamn. Not being fully very, very caught up on the Turbulence Yeah, series. I, 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 I toyed with different fake uh, titles for this fake sequel, <laughs> like <laughs> such as Turbulence 4, uh, The Overhead Compartment, and <laughs> Turbulence 4, Terror on the Tarmac. But I, I, went with, I thought Cabin <laughs> Pressure was more plausible. Sounds very plausible. Can I ask a question? Does yes. the Turbulence series... Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. More than more. This, it, right. but it never reached Ford. It needs to be rebooted. Was there a yeah. was there a slow paced but uh, deeply personal seventies franchise that was eventually expanded into a fast paced uh, but slick action eighties franchise? I don't even know what that what you reference. <laughs> the Turbulent series. Oh, I thought that was like in wasn't that a that was the nineties. Yeah, that was the like early nineties. Yeah, that's a, from the Ray Liotta Golden Age. Yeah, a lot, a lot of great stuff going on in Turbulence. All right, we're moving so, on. Who Nathan. wins? Okay. All right, uh, Nathan. Wicked Blood. Wicked Blood. Oh Wicked goodness, blood. Uh, that totally sounds like a directed video movie. Um, but I think I, I've, I've had too many of those before. So I'm going to say that that is a, a movie that does not exist. The one that you have made up. No, that is real. No. Uh, pretty recent, too. Abigail Breslin. Really? Yeah, believe who, who, it. Who else is in it? Um, that's all I got Spencer here. Breslin? <laughs> that's, all, that's all the details I have. All real, right. comma, Abigail Breslin. Boo. All right. Uh, okay. That's, uh, so so uh, do we have... We have we had nothing that time. I did a good job. I'm doing great. This is, wait, this wait, is a, wait. Is this one of those games where your entire point is to beat us? Yes, I'm, I'm a stymie. Supposed to be advocate for, ad, advocates for your players, Scott. This one's to Keith. Yes. Demolition University. Troy McClure. No. No. That's a Corey Haim uh, vehicle from, from the, from the mid-90s. Also with, uh, also with Corey Feldman. No, 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 Amy Dolenz. Oh, Amy Dolenz, yes. But, but, but one of the Corys was involved in it. it was in Haim. It was Haim. Haim was, but I believe Feldman, Feldman might have begged there off a, it. There was if another I, there was another. If I remember his movie. memoir choreography correctly, which I believe I do. Nathan, were you the guy in, in history class that was like, no, I don't know when the War of 1812 was, but I can name like two generals on each side, or at least this their cousins? This used to mean something before... Uh, that, that and be, this, this would gosh, be the one place where this would work. useful now. <laughs> you can't yeah. get extra credit in Scott Games. It doesn't work that way. I know, I That's know. good. He's, he's going to mention some title down the line like I last have more time. information uh, than you need to know. Uh, all right, uh, Tasha. Jagged Attraction. <laughs> <laughs> Jagged attraction. I, uh, I f- feel like this is one of those tests, pop quizzes that you didn't study for that you just try to try to figure out what the uh, the teacher intended. Jagged attraction. 
I I feel like I could flip a coin between Troy McClure and Made Up Out of Your Mind. I'm going to say Made Up Out of Your Mind. Troy McClure. (laughs) Well, I really got Tasha off off rhythm here. This is good. Nathan, this is you. Yes. Ernest? (laughs) (laughs) Ernest goes to fuck. (laughs) Ernest. uh, uh, (laughs) They went in a more adult uh, direction with that particular uh, intro. Was that the porn takeoff or just the fifth one in the series? Explicit rating. Ernest goes to fuck. Um, (laughs) Ernest goes to Bangkok. I think we have the title for uh, (laughs) Nathan. Ernest goes to Bangkok. Bangkok is a motion picture that does not exist. That's correct. That is a fake title. Even Troy McClure has not been in that. Um, is, it, is, it, is that a, finally breaking the, breaking a, a long drought? Uh, Keith, this is to you. Uh, sexy evil genius. I don't think it's Troy McClure. I think it's too dumb to be a direct-to-video movie. I see Nathan gesturing over there. I'm going to ignore that and say... <laughs> Nathan is literally <laughs> holding his mouth shut you know at what? this moment. I, you know what? I'm going to cheat. I think it's a direct-to-video movie. Oh, nice poker face, yeah. Nathan. He was, I was starring out. Seth Green. That I've seen Green. and reviewed. <laughs> you reviewed it. I yes. reviewed it. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a it's a poor motion the picture. Honorable thing would be to ignore that and go with my original choice, which is something that that's gotten me no. up. But I'm it's, going to. Uh, it's real and it's uh, not so spectacular. I need to yeah. reposition my uh, my chair. So it I can failed see to impress space. that one. It did. All right, uh, Tasha, Bikini Planet, directed uh, directed DVD. Uh, that's correct. It's real. 2002 sci-fi. I have not seen it, but I could swear I've seen it uh, like pop up on Netflix or something like that. Hmm. Wow, I, I really sound like I'm making excuses for my excessive bikini <laughs> planet watching, don't I? Everybody loves bikini movies. I swear that's I did not buy that movie. I have not watched that movie eight times. That movie is not my favorite movie. All right. Uh, they, Nath- they start a bikini car wash. Nathan. Yes. Bring it on. We've got spirit. I'm going to say that that subtitle does not sound like an official member of the Bring It On uh, <laughs> series. I mean, they went pretty far. They went pretty deep. I feel like some members of 3LW were involved in some of the later entries. Um, but I'm thinking that is not the subtitle. So I'm going to say it is a fictional movie. Correct. Yes. Correct. This is this is this is compl- this game is completely in Nathan's uh, wheelhouse. He has three. <laughs> He's ahead. Uh, Keith, to you, the Hanukkah Massacre. <laughs> I think that's Troy McClure. I think it's going to, I'll say Troy McClure. No, it's fake. No, I made it up. Right, right. Uh, there's, there's something called the, the Christmas season massacre, I believe. Uh, so I decided to change the, change it to uh, Hanukkah for Nathan. Wow. That's benefit. so great. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> You've been given a gift. <laughs> uh, all right, Tasha hmm. Kemper, the co-ed killer. <laughs> I keep thinking these aren't funny enough to be Troy McClure. Uh, uh, like I, Kemper, I I don't know. I I'm gonna say you made that one up. That is real. Oh dear. 2008 thriller. See Nathan's like, oh, oh man, I've seen. I, re- I yeah. did like I wrote I wrote like three thousand words on that. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> uh, Nathan, to you, uh, the unmasking of Sarah. <laughs> uh, the unmasking of Sarah. <laughs> Goodness, uh, is the unmasking of Sarah a direct? Video movie, a fictional movie, or a Troy McClure movie? Congratulations, you uh, figured out what the game is. I am going to go with it. That sounds <sighs> like a, a movie that does not exist. That's correct. Uh, Nathan's, I think, has he has he sealed it? Has he? We yeah. have no idea how many thousands. Yeah, he's, more he's questions pretty much have. he's wrapped this up. There's only there's only two more. So this is this is just for uh, you know pride at this point. Uh, this is to you, Keith. Okay. Angels in the infield. That's Troy McClure. No, that's real. That's real. That's one oh, I that saw. And heard about. So that's a direct-to-video sequel or something, or, or uh... I'm not sure. 
That's the Mexican non-union equivalent yeah. of Angels in the Outfit. Yeah. Uh, it's a much smaller movie. Yeah. In this, in the, Chris DeFerro Lloyd is one of the stars of that. Last one to you, Tasha. The Electric Gigolo. <laughs> we need a sound effect for slowly, sadly shaking my head. Tremaclore. Yes. Got Ooh, it, Tasha. Huzzah. I just I felt that there hadn't well been enough done. B on this uh, multiple choice pop quiz. That was a, a prequel to uh, prequel to Fading Gigolo. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Nathan, this is this was completely you know you, your knowledge of of uh, of Troy of the Simpsons of, <laughs> of the world of of uh, directed video and and uh, in my. Your insight to, to this uh, person's head. We need difficulty levels me. on these quizzes. Like, you know, mine, my, the question that comes to me should be name a movie. And then Nathan gets to name 47 people who are in it, including <laughs> all of the gaffers. He's like, Demolition University, you haven't seen that. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Keith, uh, Tasha, Nathan, thank you. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you. Scott. And now we've reached 30 seconds to sell, wherein Nathan Raven and Genevieve Kosky have 30 seconds to convince me to buy the recommendation, whether it's for a film, a soundtrack, an idea, whatever. Eh, I may buy it or I may not. I, I, you know, there's only so much. I, that's a lot of money, whatever it is. So, okay. All right, Nathan, uh, let's start with you. You've got 30 seconds uh, in three, two, one, go. Like a lot of people, uh, my thoughts this week were on Robin Williams. So I figured we'd get an opportunity to finally watch uh, The Birdcage, which was recently released on Blu-ray. Uh, and I was very pleasantly surprised. I felt like it found the exact right tone. It could be a tonal train wreck. Robin Williams did this amazing performance, just so sweet, so tender, so gentle. And Elaine May's screenplay, just again, just finds that exact right tone. Uh, it is a wonderful way to pay tribute to a man on everybody's mind. Uh, Elaine May's screenplay, absolutely fantastic. Go and see it. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Probably was, don't need to, to finish you, my thing by saying pretty, bye. Bye. You really didn't actually buy buy put you over. <laughs> Every, before that, you were you were totally fine. Does, so, does he get extra points for being polite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but unnecessary uh, politeness. Uh, I request extra points for that. I, I, I would start buying with hello, but I don't think I can spare the seconds. <laughs> no, you can't. So. Okay. Right. No hello. No, 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 you know. Yeah. Be as rude as, uh, be like a shock jock. I don't know. Um, all right. All right. Genevieve, uh, three, two, one. In his recent essay for the Dissolve titled Achievement Unlocked, Matthew Dustin mentioned the horror adventure video game The Last of Us is the first game that, quote, not only steals interestingly from the movies, but improves upon the source material. Perhaps inevitably, there's a film adaptation of the game in the works produced by Sam Raimi. But before that rolls around, I encourage anyone who hasn't experienced this game in its original medium to do so either as a player or just as a spectator. Even if, like me, you don't play these sorts of games, it's very compelling to watch someone else, in my case, my boyfriend and roommate, play it and see the story unfold over the course of hours and hours of gameplay, which will inevitably be cut away in the eventual film version. Wow, that was pretty good. I think the micro machine guy yeah. did not talk as quickly I think that as was, you did. That I'm, yeah. I'm in awe. That was, I, I'm not. I'm good as as good as Nathan's recommendation <laughs> was. I'm gonna have to give that. I was so polite, just, just on style. That was right. uh, that was like some sort of weird like uh, uh, debate team shit going on there. That was fast. And, and actually, I wrote about the birdcage in our Robin Williams remembrance, so it's like I won twice. Yeah, you. There we go. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Genevieve won twice. <laughs> she did. Uh, well, good job, Genevieve. Um, our producer coming in to uh, to clean house. Um, all right, Genevieve, uh, Nathan, thank you. Thank you. That does it for episode 27 of the Dissolve podcast. Please join us in two weeks for more opinions, insight, and general tomfoolery. 
In the meantime, you can enjoy The Dissolve in Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and website form. If you have any questions or thoughts, please email us at feedback at thedissolve.com. The Dissolve podcast is produced by Genevieve Kosky with assistance from Colin the Animal Griffith. In the meantime, please keep the late Major Tank Salat in your thoughts.